opportunity to follow up, I have truly felt the harvest in your city, possibly in your state, since I've been home. And I have told so many people, the harvest is ready in Alaska. The harvest is ready in Alaska. It, I, I literally have felt like it's calling. Like I can, it feels like a drumbeat. I can just feel the, the urgency of the harvest there. And so I, I appreciate having this opportunity to just kind of relieve myself a little bit of this excitement that I have. I'm so far away. I really can't do anything about it except hope that you are able to continue doing what we all started doing when we were there. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with some prayer and then I'll get right into the word here. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for this congregation. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for this pastor. Thank you for these laborers, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for the harvest that is ripe and ready. Thank you, Lord, for inspiration. Thank you, Lord, for strength to gather in the harvest. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will help this church, Lord, to be able to handle the harvest you have prepared for them. God, give them the wisdom, give them the strength to be able to carry in this harvest. God, give them the courage to carry in this harvest. God, give them the endurance to carry in this harvest. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. So um, in Luke chapter 10 is um, one of the two places that we find uh, Jesus talking about sending laborers into the harvest. And Luke 10 verses 1 and 2, it starts with, um, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. So this is verse 1 to know what else has been happening because verse 1 starts with, after these things. So that means we're in the middle of a story after these things to know what these things were. You got to go back to Luke chapter nine. And, and uh, I actually did that right before this call. And it's a lot of things. They were busy having revival. So after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face, before his face, meaning that these 70 were sent and twos before Christ came to town. So before Christ got to a city, two of these disciples went first. And so we want to continue to model this. We know that God is everywhere. We know that, that God is right here in Bellevue and he's right there in Kenai. We know that, that the same way God is meeting you at your church Across town in a neighborhood, God is present there also, but they've got to be made aware of how to access him in their home and that he is present and the, the goodness of him. And that's what we see these 
these disciples doing here? So they go first into every city and place, whether he himself would come. So Jesus is going to come after them. Verse two, after this process, Jesus said, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. The harvest is great. It's the laborers that are few. And then he says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. This pray ye, um, we use the word pray as in something that we do um, that is spiritual. We we stop talking to one another and we start talking to God and we call that praying. And that is also what this could mean. In my personal prayer time, it's common for me to say, Lord, send laborers into the harvest. When I'm not talking to anybody, I'm just talking to God. I will say, God, send laborers into the harvest. And I usually follow up by saying, and let me be one of those laborers you send. Don't don't send laborers without sending me. I want to be right in the middle of what's going on. And so Pray ye, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. So that's the that's the account that we have in Luke. The second place that we see this happening is in Matthew. And in, in Luke, what we just read, as I said before, when you look at the previous chapter in, in chapter 9, it's almost like a list of they were here, then they were there, then they were there. It's it's a fast running list of all of these things that, that Christ was doing around these cities with the disciples. Matthew 9 sets the scene a little more clearly, specifically of what triggered Jesus to say this. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. And we find it in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. That's exactly what we're reading about in Luke. Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36 But when he saw the multitudes, this is the scene, this is the the atmosphere that triggered Christ to say, send the harvest. It says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, here's the thing about this to understand. As sheep having no shepherd, well, where is he preaching? Where is he uh, uh, seeing these people? He's seeing them in all of the cities and villages. Well, these cities and villages have governments. They've got laws that are keeping them in order, that are keeping uh, mobs from forming or, or, or stealing or robbery or murder. They've got government in line, but there is something, even though there's, there are laws on the book that keep people from killing one another physically or stealing from haphazardly, there is something else that's happening. And what is happening is causing them to faint. 
that's to feel continually exhausted. Um, um, today I was up and down a ladder helping Morgan get her classroom ready because her she starts uh, teaching second grade tomorrow. So I also, today was my fast day. So because I'm fasting and I'm up and down this ladder, I was getting lightheaded often throughout the day. And I would just kind of have to stop and take a couple deep breaths. And, you know, I, I literally... I literally wasn't seeing anything. It wasn't like I was seeing spots. I would just get, the world would go black. And I just knew I got to just breathe a little, get some oxygen flowing so I don't pass straight out right here in the middle of this classroom. Well, that's how I was feeling physically. But Jesus was looking at people who emotionally was feeling this way, psychologically is feeling this way. And that's what your city is experiencing. That's what this whole world is experiencing. And and because they are are so uh, feeling this this lightheadedness, but it's not in, it's not physical. It's, it's in their emotions. They're feeling frantic about, you know, not being able to make it through, not being able to, to keep going. And they feel like they are scattered abroad. They feel like they are unprotected as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus is at places, he's in a synagogue. He's not only preaching in city streets. He's also going to where there are religious gatherings. And it does not matter that it's a religious gathering. These people are like sheep, unprotected as sheep having no shepherd. And that is how we have to understand our cities, our towns, our communities are, your workplace, the things people are dealing with on your workplace. It's not just physical. It's not just a headache that your coworker is dealing with. It's also a spiritual fainting. It's also that that feeling that they have of being unprotected. They need God. They need Christ. They need strength. They need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They need the experiences that you have on a daily basis. You all know those that are gathered in this room right now, you have this amazing opportunity that if you are feeling afraid as you are going to sleep at night, you know that it's just the mention of his name. Jesus, help me. In the middle of your bedroom, all you have to do is call his name and you feel his presence. You feel him comfort you when you are sobbing, when you are dealing with sickness, when you are, you know it, you feel it. Your coworkers, your neighbors, they do not know how easy it is to bring the presence of God into their midst. And that's all they need. That's why Christ is saying, I need laborers to go into the harvest. Listen, they're not not coming to church because they don't want church. They're not coming because they don't know. They don't know how to engage with God. They don't know how to interact with the presence of the Lord. And so it is on us, the laborers, to go into this world, the harvest. That's those people who are unsaved. And we've got to bring them 
into the storehouse. Listen, let me tell you something that that changed me and helped me have a lifestyle, a culture of evangelism. I don't need my church to go do door hangers. I'm going to be involved in evangelism if no one else is. Now, there are a lot of things that have occurred in my life and have brought about this, this ongoing evangelism that I have right now. One is I was very inspired by my grandmother. My I've always heard stories about my grandmother sharing the gospel on city buses and everybody in her neighborhood. She they knew if they were sick, go call Nellie because when Nellie prayed for you, that's my grandmother, you were going to be healed. You were going to feel better. And so I had those stories and, and stories of Ethel Daniel, my mom's pastor's wife, who would strap on a guitar and go, go stand at a park and, and sing. And, and I, I had those heroes put in front of me. And so I wanted to also participate in the ministry like that. That's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be like that. But Brother um, Charles Grisham said something many years ago that changed me. And he said that he was driving through town one day in his city. Unfortunately, I don't even remember which city he was pastoring in. And he said that the Lord spoke to him and said, you are not just the pastor of that church. You are the pastor of this city. And he said when he realized he was not just the pastor of that church, he was the pastor of that city, it made him think about every waitress differently. When he sat down in a restaurant, he wasn't just sitting down to get another meal. He was recognizing, I am this waitress's pastor, and she doesn't even know I am sitting right here. She is bringing me food. She is bringing me drinks, and I am her pastor. When he said that, and when he started operating that way, there were a couple of things that happened. One, first of all, he became more self-aware of his behavior. It Sitting at a table, even though he was paying for a meal and paying the tip, it wasn't all about him anymore. He realized he was sitting at that table for the benefit of starting a pastoral relationship with the people in that restaurant. And he said that, you know, it just helped him behave more politely. And it kind of kept him on his game of, of, you know, doing what's right in public, recognizing that he was their pastor. But also it just kind of, it helped him realize how how desperate his heart needed to beat for his city because he had a building where people were coming in and where people could pray and where people could worship, where they could hold a mic and sing or or where they could go to Sunday school, but there weren't enough people in that building because he was the pastor of every person in that city. And so I also took on that understanding and I just started recognizing in my city, in my town, I am the teacher of this person. I am this person's Bible study teacher or I am this person's sister. I am this person's music director. I am this person's, the only hope and a help that they have is right here in this 
flawed vessel. And so I've got to figure out how I'm going to engage in a conversation. You know, uh, uh, if, if you know of somebody who has dementia or they have Alzheimer's, that's a very painful experience when it's your mother, when it's your grandmother, when it's your auntie with Alzheimer's and, and you know, you, you know what your relationship is with them, but they don't know. And so as you are trying to have a conversation, you're trying to be polite, you're trying to be extra compassionate because they're not even aware that, that they're being rude to you, but it's their, their, Situation of of having Alzheimer's. I recently saw a a video of a bride and her father had Alzheimer's and they used to always paint together. And so she was getting married and she really thought the only thing she was going to get out of her wedding ceremony with her father is before the ceremony, she had arranged for some canvases to be laid out. And in his nursing home, he would still paint. And so she had set up these canvases so that they could paint together. And she, it was really just her thought of, he's used to painting. I'll get this paint. I'll get this painting. And then that's what I will have even though he is so ate up with this disease. And the video is beautiful. They are sitting there, they are painting together and they're, as far as he's concerned, he's talking to a stranger, it's his daughter. And as far as he's concerned, he's just sitting by a stranger and she's actually there in her wedding dress. She's sitting there in her white wedding dress painting with her dad and they they painted a few strokes and and he looked over at her and and she said that's really nice and he said this is fun and he looked at her and when he looked again he had as a lot of Alzheimer's patients will have he had a second of recognition and he recognized his daughter and of course she her heart just melted and he actually walked her down the aisle because he had that moment of recognition my friends my fellow laborers in kenai that is the situation that you are in every day with your coworkers they don't know but you are their sister they do not recognize it but you are their brother you are their Sunday school teacher when you are passing mothers with their when they're pushing their shoulders you are that child Sunday school teacher the mother doesn't know it yet the father doesn't know it yet they don't have the understanding yet it is up to you to use wisdom to figure out how am I going to woo this soul so that we can connect and we can fully become what God has intended for us to be. So living a 24-7 lifestyle, you and I, we have got to live every day, every morning when we go out of our house. We're not just going to the grocery store. We're going to a place where we need to help this person come to a place where their soul feels our soul. Their heart feels our heart. They feel our compassion and it will bring them to a dawning realization. This is my family. This is my love. This is my friendship. 
24-7, every restaurant, inside every store. For me, there's not a manicure that I go to that I am not looking for that moment of dawning realization where I can convey to them, I've got something that you need. You are the doctor in the room. You are the, the one with the answer that is in the room with them. As I move into something that I pointed out when I was there, S-E-E-D, steed, step out, engage regularly, envelop in prayer, discern the next step. As I begin to point out some things in S-E-E-D, step out, engage regularly, envelop in prayer, discern the next step. As I talk about those, I want to point out something that's part of this 24-7 lifestyle culture of being a laborer in the harvest every day, every, every engagement. It's all about the harvest. We have to remember that if we don't sow, we don't eat. In this modern day, I was so shocked at how expensive things were in your grocery store. But in this modern day, you can go to a grocery store. And even if a, even if a, a product is not in season, as a matter of fact, in Alaska, we saw watermelons. Y'all are not growing watermelons over there in Alaska. I can tell you that right now. That watermelon came all the way from somewhere else. So in this modern day, we can fly in produce or rice or grain. We can fly in what is not in season locally. But if we did not have that modern day way of doing things, what we would have to do is grow everything that we would need. And so for Floridians, in the winter, that's going to be oranges. And in the summer, that's going to be watermelon and cantaloupe. And so we have to to do this spiritually as well. We have to learn to sow so that we have crop coming in for every season. So that means just one thing is not going to be enough. We've got to do this, then we've got to do that. And then we've got to do this other thing over here. And then we need to try that. And while that seed that we've sown over here is growing, we need to start trying a different field and seeing if that's going to take with that ground. And as that's growing, then we got to go over here and we got to plant some things over here to see what will grow over there. When I talk about stepping out, it happens in two ways. When I was there, we talked mostly about stepping out as a church. We went and done door hangers together. And that is always exciting and beautiful and enjoyable. We get to talk while we're going from door to door. Um, maybe we'll go out to eat afterwards. Um, it's just a lovely time of sewing as a church. Another thing that, um, that I encourage you to do as a church is get in the habit of taking home every, uh, uh, Sunday, six cards. And every day, just like you would need to take or were supposed to take a, a vitamin every day, a multivitamin, just start inviting a man every day. It doesn't have to be a male. When I say a man, I mean humanity. Invite a person every day. So if you're not 
of a personality type that just is real comfortable saying, here, let me invite you to my church. We have people here at Bellevue that will put their daily vitamin card on a gas pump whenever they stop for gas, or they will um, leave it on the table with a really good tip at a, at a restaurant. So there are ways to make yourself invite a person every day. And what you're doing is you're, you're ensuring that particular field always has seed going in it. But that's not the only field that we want to sow seed in. Um, here in Bellevue, we do door hangers only once a month. I don't know what your routine or schedule is going to be, but going out and doing that once a month, that's a different field. And that's perfect, but it's not enough. And so another thing that you're going to want to try to do is social engagements with the community. It might be a block party. Uh, Pastor um, and Sister Laurie were telling me that you guys have in the past done uh, like fall festivals where you had people come there and and play games. And that's awesome. Um, Maybe it's going to be something like that. Maybe it's going to be a dinner where everybody brings a side dish and, and, uh, and everybody, you know, you invite your neighbors and everybody comes and has a good time down in the fellowship hall. So however you want to do those things as a church, make sure you're constantly aware of that. Don't let a month go by when you've not done at least one of those entire church outreach activities. Um, But I personally have found the most success in personal stepping out. And for me, that's going to look like coffee. It's going to look like asking somebody if we can meet for coffee. It's going to be asking somebody if we can meet for lunch. It's going to be asking somebody if they want to walk with me around our our walking path at at, uh, the local park, Lake Lillian. It's going to be a not spiritual thing. It's just a social thing because people are starving socially. People are lonely. People are, are, are feeling unappreciated. And so doing a social thing opens up their spirit so that when the time is right, the spiritual seed can take root. And so make sure that you are taking time to step out. You may, your first step out may be, hey, would you like to do a Bible study? That is very rare for me. That is not how I personally have done the soul winning that I've done. 99.9% of all of my soul winning has the first step has been, let's have lunch, let's have coffee, let's go for a walk. It's been a very social, uh, uh, not spiritual. Of course it is spiritual, but not as far as they're concerned, not spiritual thing to do. And then the next thing is engage regularly with those individuals, engage regularly. There are people that are founding. I mean, founding isn't the word I'm looking for. Foundational, that's the word I'm looking for. They are foundational to our church here at Souls Harbor who took over a year before they ever attended their first church service, multiple people in our church. And so what that means is you've got to be in this for the long haul. You need to engage regularly. And so even if you're not seeing them be filled with the Holy Ghost or be baptized in Jesus name, that doesn't mean that you stop engaging with them. You keep that engagement going and 
and um, do that with lunch, do that with coffee, do that with taking a walk, try to engage socially with those people once a week. A powerful church service is a important place that you come into that building right there and sing and worship and intercede and travail and dance and run and have the power of God fall. That is very important. But it is the conversations, the asked questions, the answered questions, the shared laughter that happen around tables that cause roots to grow. Think about yourself and your own salvation. If people did not spend social time with you, you probably would not still be in the church. It was that, uh, uh, there's a saying that says, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's that social connection that causes people to stay around long enough for that spiritual fruit to take root and begin to blossom and grow. So make sure you engage regularly, whether you're seeing them come to church or not, engage regularly. And then, oh, another quote that I love so much, the church will grow at the speed of relationships. The church will grow at the speed of relationships. And then, of course, the second E in S-E-E-D, you've got step out, you've got engage regularly, and then envelop in prayer. Keep all of these souls enveloped in prayer. And if, if um, you know, if, if God releases you, a burden is released about a particular soul that you've been working with, add somebody else. Get that, that activity filled with another soul. Envelop them in prayer. And then lastly, discern the next step. Be very discerning about um, what you teach, how you teach. You guys have a great new discipleship program active. I I strongly encourage um, more people learn to teach that new discipleship program. If you're not going to the new discipleship program because you've been in church for a long time, you need to go anyway, because you need to teach it. Listen to me. The harvest in Kenai is calling me all the way in Bellevue, Florida. You're going to have so many new disciples that Pastor Rodney is not going to be able to teach them all. All of you need to be teaching the new disciple course. Learn how to teach it. Learn how to teach it to children. Learn how to teach it to adults. Make sure everybody knows how to teach that material because you're going to need all hands on deck to deal with the harvest that God is going to send your way. I'm going to end with 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. If all you go out is once a month with your church, that's fine. Please do that. But sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. Sow bountifully. You've got so much harvest that is just hanging so heavy. I can see in my spiritual mind, I can see the largest 
clusters of grape just bearing down the vines because your harvest is so heavy. I can see stalks of corn, so many ears of corn just bearing down on that stalk because it's so heavy with harvest. I can see wheat fields just laying on its side because the wheat is so heavy. I'm telling you, Pentecostal, the keen eye, I'm telling you, God has a mighty harvest for you. So sparingly, reap sparingly, but God's going to help you to reap and sow bountifully. In Jesus' name, Pastor Rodney, will you take this?